lonesome highway east of Omaha. Listen to the engine's moaning out his one old song. You think about the woman, the girl you knew the night before. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Concerned Observers podcast. Uh, it's me and James, and James and Jason, and Jason's on the road driving. Yeah. Traveling the great open road. Quite a uh, quite a different kind of sound. It's not terrible though, and yeah. uh, we just you know you know we are so dedicated to this that we're willing. Well, let me rephrase. Jason is so dedicated to this that he's willing <laughs> to risk his life and drive and do a podcast at the same time. I am so, I am uh, driving safely, obeying the rules of the road, and I am only flipping people off. Maybe half as much as I normally would. That's the America I know and love. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not going to stop. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> well, we wouldn't want you to incite violence on the road or anything. Uh, um, oh, that was not planned, but he did it anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, That's I beautiful. I did. Um, no, we're going to talk about a few things. One of them is not necessarily a current events topic. It's just more kind of a... I got something in my crawl a little bit. I'm not. I'm not too keen on, you know, the way that things are going um just overall I, I there's things that are that really crack me up and i'll kind of go through them all but it's just the concept of what language is and what violence is and everything in between is just trying to get thrown up in the air and i i want to live in a world where we actually ground ourselves in facts and scientific knowledge and logic as opposed to you know, either re- religious ideals or non-religiously based feelings that um, can occur, I think, more so on the left. So, um, oh, no, no, could you elaborate? Because that, that is that was that last bit was a curveball for me. I, I think I know where you're going with it, but I, I doubt your normal listeners do. So I would what say you, that I, I, when I when you when you hear religion, when you hear generally religious fervor kind of stuff, you think. I would think most people think generally right wing. Correct. Yeah. So I, yes, I do. And I I think that the right has kind of a stranglehold on that aspect where they use, instead of using like reason and as the basis for their arguments as to why things are the way they are, they, they ground themselves in, uh, predominantly like scripture based, uh, like a scripture-based logic, or in some cases, just kind of a cultural logic that's kind of occurred over the years in, like, say, Christianity or Judaism, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, but, but you're saying uh, that there's religious language on the left? No, well, I would argue it's equivocal to religious language on the left, but what it is is it's more of, like, just a how do I feel about the situation versus like here are logical reasons why this should be the way it is so it's almost like religion without text right versus um and it's actually grounded a lot i think more in a secular atheistic view um and it's more like its rules are grounded in like the writings of like say like a who is it stalin or marxist style of uh 
you know what I'm saying? Like their their basis for the sure. I mean, there, yeah, there's less incendiary right. people. I'm sure we could pick two, John Rawls sure. or right. something yes. like that. I just <laughs> I went to the extreme because I mean, why not? So, well, I mean, those guys are also very atheistic, right, and very anti-religion. So that's why I kind of went right. that way. But anyway, um, well, I mean, but so you know, David Hume was like kind of leftist, but I mean, he was like, man, back when I was in my atheist days, he was like my absolute favorite philosopher. He was like, he just did a great job. I mean, I, I mean, right. I. I, even though I'm no longer of that school of thought, I, I still really, really respect them. Or Christopher Hitchens too. I mean, he's yeah, generally like a man of the left. I like and, Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Uh, um, so, long story short, um, there's just been. I don't know really exactly where to start. I know where my brain goes automatically. Well, I mean, and, it, it, just to you know, see how the gears turned. I mean, this was what we we're talking about like what inspired us here was like a kind of a backup topic we were saving for last the last episode we thought we might if we had time we'd go into it but that Miller Miller report just took all of our time it was just so good (laughs) um but we were really watching this thing from Ilan Omar versus Donald Trump thing going down and you know when we were done recording James in particular was just like dude I want to record again, like do another episode here, like within the next few days, let's get this thing out. And we didn't quite manage to do that, but, uh, wanted to still kind of give you the the satisfaction of being able to talk about it a bit. So this, this thing that's going down is, um, it's, it's a little older, but you know, I think still pretty recent. I mean, the news cycle just moves so fast these days, but, uh, Ilan Omar was giving a speech to the council of, uh, Dang it, you have to remember what it stands for. CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations. Um, just kind of a, an Islamic interest group. Let's just leave it at that for now. Um, but uh, she was talking about the frustrations of Muslims losing civil rights in the age of, you know, post 9-11 kind of era America. And flippantly was just saying, and a lot of us are losing their civil rights just because some Muslims, some because some people did something. And that right. sound that doesn't go over well. way around. Yeah, that doesn't go over that, well. That doesn't I, go over well with anyone who was born basically maybe a few years after us. So like anywhere from like 1986, maybe 1988 to now. Like, yeah. um, if you were in high school when 9-11 right. went down or later... Right. It's probably not like you really sense. understood the impact. You understood the fear. You understood what it was they were trying to accomplish. You understood a lot more of it, I think, than um, you know. There, there are people born today who, you know, were born after it, right? Or they didn't even exist yeah. for years after it, right? And so they're also weighing in with their opinions. I mean, this kind of. Not to take a jab, but I think this lends credence to the idea of the ignorance that Ilhan Omar has, right? Where I think that she has experiences that give her authority when speaking on certain topics. Um, I think that due just due to her experiences, right? Um, but I feel like this is one where I'm not 100% sure if she was a U.S. citizen when September I, I, if I If I remember my research... Uh, from when we were talking about this last time, she came to the U.S. 14 years ago. So that'd right. be no. So she wasn't even here then, right? And so, right. Um, 
I don't feel like she has much authority to talk on this topic, but at the same time, I do think that as a of, of a as a person, you know, who is considered, you know, a, a brown-skinned person, right? Because we can't say black or dark-skinned, right? So it's it's she's brown. Um, she she has certain uh, authority, I think, in certain topics, talking about maybe racism during those things, and then also. Um, I would argue that even post 9-11, there is kind of an anti-Islamist sentiment that's kind of been tied into September 11th and other things that have happened. So I think that, yes, you can have discrimination against them. And yes, they can speak to that in a way that I don't think you and I have any experience. You know what I mean? And I think we can try to equate different aspects of our lives to it. But what I'm getting at yeah, is that I mean, she just has that authority, right? Like she's been experiencing it and probably has experienced it. Yeah, just to dwell on the substance of what she said right there. I mean, it's after we just spent a whole episode ripping on her, you know, you, you might be surprised to hear me kind of say, eh, this isn't that bad. I think what she was getting at was much more along the lines of not that she was being flippant about 9-11, but what she was trying to say was just because a few Muslims did something, like Correct. the rest of us are going to suffer on it. Right. Uh, however, I mean, then, then the, there's the other part that I would go back and you know, Surely, you know, she definitely deserves some bit of like, you know, credibility because, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be Muslim in America. Uh, but we do have the numbers and the numbers don't lie. I mean, there was certainly an uptick in anti-Islamic violence or you know, Islamophobic violence after 9-11. But you got to keep that bump in perspective. It never reached the heights of what you experience just you know, like the Japanese and like American World War II. experience. Well, sure, very true, um, but also never. I mean, but let's go even lower than that. I mean, that's a very high bar to clear. <laughs> uh, but uh, it never. It's not you know reached what African Americans experience or even oh, sure. I mean, particularly particularly Jews. I mean, Jews are still and have never been dethroned, even before or after 9/11, as the biggest victim of hate crimes in America. They just they haven't. So. No matter the uptick, which is notable and deserves to be talked about, it's not something we should, it's not like I'm saying we should push it under the rug, but keeping a perspective here, we actually managed to keep our to keep that bigotry largely in check. Uh, right. I mean the kinds of fears that were that were going around did not come to pass in any kind of seriously notable scale. Uh, you know, right. Like I said, I'm not I don't mean to I'm not trying to be flippant on that either. It happened. But, you know, a little yeah, so bit of perspective what, is important. Yeah, so what we're, what we're taking a really long time getting around to say, though, is that then there was this video that was published on the Internet yeah. that took Ilhan Omar's uh, comments and combined them with uh, a video of September 11th occurring. And then President Trump obviously weighed in because if there's ever an opportunity to be like he shared it, right? Um, if he's ever given an opportunity to do something abrasive and obnoxious, I think the president's going to jump on it. Um, so I can't, I, mean, the last time he, I can't remember the last time he got on Twitter and made something better. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, let's be real. Like, I'm really excited about the idea, the prospect of the president of the United States utilizing a current medium to have conversations with, you know, people of the world. However, I would like it to be a little bit healthier and not nearly as, you know, uh, poop tweeting is just not healthy tweeting. And I think that he needs to calm down on that, but that's a whole different topic. So long story short, after this happens, this video goes out, obviously 
um, you can get a sense that while it may have been distasteful what she said and it might have been just distasteful to publish this video, you know, basically portraying that she like supported <laughs> what occurred um, on September 11th, what, what came out of it was that uh, certain individuals were claiming that this was an incitement of violence and where where my brain is at right now and where I'm so as a person who is like a slight pendulum, right? Sometimes I sway a little bit more into the left and sometimes I sway a little bit more into the right, but I always say kind of in that center kind of area. Um, one of the things that frustrates me about this is um, when I, when I'm watching the situation, like this makes, this is going to push me to the right. Right. So this is one of those situations where I'm going to be more in the right circle on this of like, I mean, there's snowflakes is snowflakeism if you want to call it that on both sides. Um, Donald Trump, you know, in a way is acting like a snowflake because someone being flippant about September 11th doesn't mean that you were like arm was sawed off, right? And you don't need to cry and scream at the levels as if that were the case. And at the same time, when someone takes your words and puts them over the event in which you're, you know, speaking about. And you shouldn't all of a sudden scream like you're gonna, your life is in danger now because of that occurring. I mean, if anything, you're saying the words put your life in danger versus the person kind of basically reiterating them. Um, but this all comes down to this whole concept of I love when we talk about, you know, books like 1984 and Fahrenheit and, uh, what is it? Fahrenheit, is it 9 11? Four fifty one. Four fifty one. Yeah, nine eleven was the bad. What's his face documentary? Yeah, right? the Michael so, Moore documentary. Michael Moore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with those books and stuff, and like the things that are happening in those books, you know, you you almost typically when you read those books feel like it's something that you you would see from like a more conservative right, right? Like that's at least how they're portrayed. Is like this aspect of you know, utilizing some form of, and it's typically almost even portrayed as like white privilege, right? Um, I don't think that they thought of it as white privilege back then. They just saw it as like a privilege thing uh, when the books were written. But my point is, is that you look at this and you think that this is something you would expect. Uh, it was a big topic when right after September 11th, for instance, occurred, um, you know, like the movie V for Vendetta came out. And, just thinking about that? <laughs> yes. And also... Uh, all these concepts, and it was very much because of, like, the Patriot Act and um, a lot of things that were occurring in that time where I feel like rights were being deteriorated due to, like, a small amount of fear, right, of a, of a, of a group of people. Some people that did something, uh, to use the parlance of our times. And so, um, Long story short, but what's really interesting is when you look at this and you look at situations like this where they cry foul and state that what Donald Trump did is inciting violence is is trying to silence opposition by claiming everything is violent, like it's inciting violence. And like, you know, for instance, if you're talking about infant side, right, which is a very hot topic right now, and you're basically saying that it's OK to kill a actual born baby, um, you know, I don't. I don't you don't become the bad I, guy by saying, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, or saying, like, you're literally telling me that it's okay to kill a human child. Like, that's not me inciting violence. That's me re-saying what you said back to you in, like, a questioning manner. And yeah. so, 
once again, like to bring it back to this concept of these books and stuff, I just, it's funny because really the ones that are screaming that to this day and the people that are labeling Donald Trump as the next Hitler, which is in some ways an insult to Hitler, but in a lot of ways, like really crazy for, you know, someone like to, Donald Trump to, to be steal it, to steal a joke. Way. Hitler could have repealed Obamacare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. So like, there's some like weird, weird elements to that, but Hitler is a terrible person. And, and I don't think that Donald Trump is in the same camp right now. There was talk about them wanting to like basically write numbers on people and put them in stuff. And there's, there are like small little weird quips you can make about Donald Trump and his, you know, uh, his cabinet, if you will. But I just, anyway, what I'm getting at is, is it's not inciting a violence. And I, I want us to live in a world where I do believe that the conversation has lost civility. We've talked about this. This has been thematic in the entire time that we've re- like had this podcast. I mean, there are times that Jason and I disagree on things and you don't hear us even get heated in our, in our, conversation about it because i think that we're both grounded enough i feel almost a sense of insecurity when people say things and then when you basically say it back to them or ask in a questioning manner like what they said i feel that people that they aren't grounded enough in their beliefs to hold it and then their their automatic like win button is to say like oh you're inciting violence or, oh, you're just, you know, so I, I, I just, this whole concept is, it's fragility on both sides. I, I do want to make sure that that's very clear. Um, because like I said, I don't think that what Ilhan Omar said warranted a video of that caliber. Like maybe from some stupid random guy on the internet. Sure. But for the president of the United States to weigh in on it, I think is a little bit obscene. Definitely, inter- definitely inappropriate. Right. And so that shows to me, it's like, well, the president just kind of, you know, cause you hear a lot of people who are conservatives talking about how these liberals these days are snowflakes, but you know, have some backbone, you know, and instead of, instead of doing something as petty as that being like, well, I just want to make sure, you know, ask them like in a nice way, say like, I just want to make sure that we're clear here that you're, you, you seem like you're trivializing the events that occurred on September 11th. Is that your intention or are you really trying to say, and then give them the moment to speak as opposed to, wow, she hates America. And then, like I said, because I can guarantee you it, I wouldn't say that it is incitement of violence, but I could see a bunch of rednecks passing that around on YouTube. Right. And like getting riled up. Yeah. I mean, right? you know, rednecks so, are going to rednecks. I mean, I, Correct. It doesn't bother me. But that they're still the ones that do. make the decision. Sure. So that's kind of I, my rant. I, I want to hear your t- side of it. Yeah, that's that's uh, a plus material right there. I, I, there's little pieces I would want to tweak in there, but let's try and keep this under three hours, shall we? Uh, <laughs> you know, I I uh, I always found the V for Vendetta movie to be kind of like it's like well they're trying to portray kind of a right wing sort of, you know, it's like, hey, the Nazis can come up again and, and it would be done through this sort of theocratic means that everybody right. sub- kind of, you know, it's all about God prevailing and that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's fair. Uh, but let's not forget that it's possible to go the other way too. I mean, it's uh, a lot of this can only occur when there is a, a large enough government 
to do all this. I mean, it's, and there's only kind of one school of thought in all this that is advocating for limited government, which is kind of the opposite of all of this. Uh, but I think you're still spot on. What, what's happening there is, is not an attempt to debate. It's an attempt to silence. And, you know, I'll, I'm not saying that Trump was trying to weigh in with some serious substance or anything. He wasn't. He is just he's just a master troll. Uh, so you should treat him like like he is one and don't feed him. You know, ignore him and let his own actions embarrass him. But to claim that it was inciting violence is absurd. Uh, words are supposed to mean something, and when they stop meaning something, then then what do we have left? There's no way to, for us to communicate. And and I think really the bigger thing it, here's here's how you can just kind of shatter this in like five seconds is they're trying to establish these rules that this you know in highlighting a minority member of Congress, a freshman set you know a freshman congresswoman that is. Uh, Singling, they're singling her out and painting her with this brush of like she's basically un-American, that she's anti-Semitic, that she doesn't care about certain groups of people, that they are prep priming her to be a target of hate, and then ultimately that will put her life at risk. And maybe there's some truth in terms of like you know because I, I you talk to most Republicans and they're kind of thinking like they they don't like Omar but. By no means do they want her to shut up. They want her to keep speaking. Oh, for sure. <laughs> because yeah, you the want... more she speaks, the more it's kind of like, man, you're just making our case for us. But uh, at the same time, the, the rule that – because, I mean, it's, we're not just saying like some people said this. It's Every presidential candidate on the Democratic side was saying that what Trump is doing is incitement to violence. But this is – the standard doesn't mean anything. It's completely meaningless because – they, I mean, just just within the last few days, Ben Shapiro. If you don't know who Ben Shapiro is, he's a big name on on the right. For uh, you know, he's, he's a right wing commentator, and uh, he has just recently been the target of very apparently very serious death threats. You know, everybody gets death threats. If you don't get death threats and you're in politics, you're probably not doing your job right. But not just politics, man. Like anything, anything. Entertainment, where you're, yeah, absolutely, sure. Yeah, if you if you have over four thousand followers on you know social media, you're you start getting into weird territories of right. people are just yeah. angry at you for being successful, and they're going to come up with random reasons to threaten you and blah blah blah. Yeah, so I mean, but he he just recently had some apparently very serious death threats where government officials had to really get involved and acted to try to protect him and. He tweeted out today that you know, thanks for all the all the hard work. You know, I really appreciate it. You guys kept me safe. It was really you know really great. Whatever. But uh, I mean, if if this is the standard that we're going to have, that you know we must not criticize Omar in this way, then now now what are you going to do with that? It's happening on the other side too. I mean, we we can't just not talk. I, I mean, it, <laughs> right. I kind of like what we were saying with with uh, our previous episodes, uh, there's, you got to find the standard that works for both sides and their standard apparently only applies to them. My standard would apply to both of them. And right. Or, I mean, so just, it's not actually inciting violence. Incitement to violence it is creating an imminent threat. Uh, there's that, that cool scene in game of Thrones where uh, Tyrion is reminding Joffrey about like, you know, the, what happened to the last king? The last king that did what you're doing got killed. 
And you know, right. this other dude says like, did you just threaten the king? He said, no, I'm just educating him. Like, I'm just telling him what happened. Uh, by the way, if, if you speak again, you know, I, bodyguard, if he, if he speaks again, kill him. That's a threat. <laughs> they, right. There's a difference. And, and that's, that is the difference. It's wholly the difference. It's one thing to say the government's, present, you know, the, the government's presenting a real threat to us. We ought to fight back. Uh, that we ought to use, heck, you know, go even further. We ought to use violent means to do so. Uh, you know, we, we should be, we should be out in the streets and we should be armed and we should be angry. Like that's, even that is not incitement to violence. When you say we're getting together and we're going to go attack the post office, that's incitement or go attack the post office at 11 PM on, you know, on May the 4th, like that's, that's incitement to violence. And, uh, you can't, just pretend that, that that phrase doesn't mean anything. And, and I mean, you can't. It just means that it will become much less useful later on. I mean, just look at how people react now when people say something's racist. I mean, half the country just rolls their eyes because they just don't even care anymore because they're so used to being paint, painted with the brush of racism for the most innocuous things. It's, it's, a, it's a charge that gets levied against them for everything. And so now it basically means nothing. That we've taken all the sting out of it. It's a it's a meme now. That's racist, and that's it. Like you want, you keep going down this road, and everything else will eventually become meaningless as well. And then there, then will truly be lost. There will be no sense of conversation between sides at all because we'll have no common ground to communicate from. Yeah, no. Uh, one thing I just want to kind of—it's—it's it's in the same topic of conversation, but more of a hilarious kind of moment here—is that what what's really funny is is when Ilhan Omar made that comment, right? I think that the smarter thing to do in that situation, not not to respond to it with uh, "this is an incitement of violence," but what you could have as a um, person in this situation, you could have done is say, "Okay, maybe I was a little flippant." about a situation that you are all very much more keenly aware of. However, instead of, you know what I'm saying? Like lead the conversation to being more like, well, instead of basically putting me into a camp of being like, I'm a supporter of this. How about you just talk down and talk about the, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that the, you know, so as a piece of advice to those on the, the left is, Maybe don't, you guys are already saying enough crazy, you know, <laughs> where you don't have to, uh, you don't have to do much to give, give this next election to, you know, Trump in 2020. Yeah. Everybody's uh, just got to take a deep breath. We're all so eager to catch the other side doing bad things. I mean, right. you know, look, at, we, we had an episode recently where we spent a lot of time very harshly criticizing Ilhan Omar. I mean, I am no fan. And there are as many more things that she has said that I would love to criticize in very harsh terms. But here we are with this one, and you just heard me say, like, you know, this isn't that bad. And I think what she was trying to say was something far less incendiary. I mean, well, right, that's you what I'm be, saying is that you've got to be willing to saying. do that. Right. You've got to be well, willing to take a breath and realize that not everything the other side does is going to be inherently evil. Right. But what, what I guess what I was trying to get to, and I just couldn't really process it is that 
if anything, what the video and Trump weighing in on the video did is it should have given her really easy fuel to kind of put the debate into a, you're literally proving my entire, my flippant con comment correct, right? Saying, you know, we're being, <laughs> uh, you know, demonized because some people did something. And I made this slightly irrational, you know, statement. And here you are posting something that basically equates me to a terrorist as a Muslim. Yeah, right. but nobody's and able so, to back down. I mean, she, she's not going to be able to say, I said something flippant. You're, you're not allowed to even step down that way. It's, and it's the Trump standard, too. Never apologize, never back down. Always go full throttle. But what I'm punish. saying is, is it's it's a dumb move on the conservative side to take the approach oh, yeah, yeah. of the video and saying, stuff. Yeah, because Trump, if the Trump said. it just takes one good politician, because here's the thing. Let me rephrase this. If Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi would have had the exact same thing happen with them, they would have handled it with the political, you know, gravitas to turn it into a, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that they would have been able to handle it in the right way. Does that make sense? So I think that he, he lucked out. Trump kind of lucked out in this scenario because it was a younger, less well-spoken politician than like, if it was someone who was a little bit more like, or like, or like let's say yeah, uh, Joe Biden, even. Right, like <laughs> someone who's just been around, who who he puts his foot in his mouth all the time. Say he's um, not known for his uh, carefully worded speech. Right, but I even think that he would be able to. Well, he would he would turn it into a knife if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, he would he would definitely take care of it. So uh, that's just what I'm getting at. Is anyway, I mean that that's all I really had on it. I just I want everyone to just kind of settle down here a little bit and you know digest situations as as best as we can going forward and stop being because literally what it is is everybody's being snowflakes and it's just it's kind of boring to cover in a way right like in boring topic but i just don't like where we're escalating it now where everything is violence and that's not true you know i i seem to remember the the, the little song when i was a kid you know sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me you know there's there's a point where but they words can won't cause hurt you. everlasting psychological damage. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but anyway, take a breather. Take a breather. Exactly. Now, what do we want to talk about next? There's something uh, else we want to talk about. Venezuela, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so, have, if you're just saying, like, I don't want to sit here and criticize Omar all that much, but a uh, good segue is that uh, Omar just recently went on record uh, to say that, uh, you know, for all her. Statements. I don't think she was misspeaking here, uh, but she thinks that what's going on in Venezuela right now is the fault of, Amer of America. Um, which I think you is... have to elaborate. This this is where I, like I said, I've, I've almost taken a break um, this past little week or two from politics because I just okay. Well, I mean, uh, let's. So. We'll, we'll start. We'll start at the now and work our way backwards real quick, and I'll make a very quick summation. But uh, right now, what's going on is basically a civil war in Venezuela. You have two different factions vying for power, and uh, there's violence in the streets. I wouldn't say that it necessarily qualifies as a civil war just yet. I just don't think there's enough like actual war right now, so much as there is street violence. But uh, you know, stuff's going down. So, is America to blame for that? Uh, let's go back to the beginning real quick. Uh, 
this all started back in 2016, or not, I don't know if it was 2016 or not, forget about that part, but uh, uh, Nicholas Maduro, uh, forgive me for not fully pronouncing like the ethnic eccentricities of the name, Uh, but uh, the uh, Nicholas Maduro is, was, was the president until the last election that they held. He was kind of the appointee. He was put there like a, as a figurehead by Cesar Chavez, who was the dictator for life for Venezuela for so long. And as he died from cancer, oh no, uh, proof that there is a God. Uh, he, uh, he appointed this Nicolas Maduro to kind of act in his stead. So right. Maduro has been in charge, recently held elections that uh, were considered by not just the international community, but by the people of Venezuela to be so fraudulent and such a sham that many, 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 a considerable amount of the, their population just basically didn't even participate. Uh, they, they protested the elections. So when he wins in a landslide, as dictators so often do, uh, there was a call to enact the, there's a clause in, in Venezuela's constitution that says, there's a clause in Venezuela's constitution that says if if things get so bad that the acting head of like the general assembly, the leader of the general assembly becomes the president, and so you basically have to have enough votes in the Congress to put that motion into effect, and there were enough votes in Congress to put that into effect. So the head of their general assembly, Juan Guaido, is legally speaking, the president of Venezuela. Okay. Uh, he agrees with this. He declares himself the president. And what is supposed to happen at this point is he's supposed to take over as a temporary vice president or temporary president until more official elections, more fair elections can take place. Uh, so that happened in January when Gaido stood up and said, I am the president of Venezuela. And Maduro said, no, you're not. So there's been kind of a lot of back and forth of who's doing what. And, you know, everybody's trying to get to declare sides and you know, flex their muscles. And now Gaido has gotten so popular to the point where he feels confident that he's got enough support within the upper echelons of Venezuelan government to say, I can throw my weight around. We we're going to make this official. Like we're going to make this uh, fully occur. So right. the, the battle lines have been drawn, so to speak. Uh, the U.S., Britain, Israel, a whole bunch of Western countries have recognized Gaido as the rightful president of Venezuela. Meanwhile, there's a small contingent of very powerful countries, but you know it's the usual guys: Russia. Turkey, China, Iran, I think that may be it. Oh, and Cuba, that say, no, Maduro is the acting president. And there you go. So uh, whether or not America is to blame for that, that, I find that highly unlikely. It sounds like their own process has made it very clear that they are, that this is what ought to happen in a legal sense so i think that's bold <laughs> well i mean let's be let's be a little frank here it's not like people on the left the people that are barking this stuff even understand that our government has a constitution and <laughs> you know a lot of written documents that are supposed to guide you yeah know what I mean? yeah like 
you know, they always want to say, well, that's not how it should work. And it's like, well, that's kind of how our government and our forefathers should, wrote should, the documents. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, like, you, you'll hear me say this up and, up and down. The process is how you, I mean, like, the process is so important. I am very much a process kind of guy. You got to follow these things. And, and because if they're well written, as ours are, it kind of, a lot of this stuff sort of takes care of itself. I mean, just look what happened with the Mueller report. I mean, I, and like how terrible Trump was behaving. I, our processes, our the way we wrote written our stuff, like the system kind of acts to keep itself legitimate. It's it's really amazing, and uh, it seems to me like the way the Venezuelans have written theirs, at least in this regard, is actually reflecting the will of the people, at least in some sense. There, I mean, there's still a socialist government and have given over far too much power to the government which is now being demonstrated by the fact that they've got government APCs running over running over civilians and just right. behaving with wanton disregard for life and setting international aid on fire to prevent it from getting to the people I mean you know that, that that's kind of crappy and that's kind of what happens when you give your government that much power um even had MSNBC when they're covering this uh, just a few days ago, they they had to admit that it's really that that it's more difficult for Guaido's side to to take power because under Venezuelan law, there's basically no right to bear arms unless you are a extremely verified friend of the regime in power. So your average people do not have firearms or have had to get them illegally, get them on the black market, and. For that reason, the civilians are heavily disarmed and are at a severe disadvantage. I mean, it's it's amazing how much this kind of stuff it makes the case for us, <laughs> for me. Um, but well, yeah, there you have it. Um, so the the thing that kind of made me want to get into this a bit was, you know, on the on one hand, like there's that kind of stuff, just kind of talking about what it means to have this sort of structure and the consequences of it. But on the American side of this, there's this weird kind of conversation right now that goes down where you have people say, well, the Venezuelans are operating under a socialist government and what they're experiencing right now is the natural consequences of socialist policies. They, they gave the power of the means of production to the government. And they, so they nationalized their, their oil industry, their agriculture, their healthcare, their, I mean, they nationalized a vast swath of their economy. And now you have, you, know, you had them dictating the prices of goods and it, it became a, it became an identity politics kind of situation where they would say, no, these people are profiting off the backs of the people, uh, off of the poor and off of the people. And, you know, they, they, would say you can't charge this much for a certain good or you have to charge this much for a certain good. And that led to shortages when people are paying more than something is worth or when they're paying less than something's worth, you, you run out. And so you've had this right. country without, without simple things like toilet paper for years now, uh, eggs, or, uh, protein, they, they can't get the necessary food. The average Venezuelan, I just learned this yesterday. The average Venezuelan has lost 24 pounds this year. Yeah, but were they really fat? I mean, let's be real. No, I mean, like, I mean, no, that's no, not really. A, I mean, it's not really a good I, testament because, like, the United States. 
Yeah, but like in the United yeah. States, like obesity is on the rise because we have everything so cheap and so affordable. People are eating food as if it's Let, well. Let's just let's just put it this way: the entire country of Venezuela did not suddenly decide to go on a health a health binge. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, there's their gyms are not thriving right now. <laughs> Instead, right. you have people lining up for miles to try and get what little food there is to eat. And you go to the hospital where they have universal health care and you still can't get it. What you get is, quote unquote, free, but you still can't get it because there's nothing there. You get aspirin and sent home. I mean, that's what's happening there. It's I would say it's a natural natural extension of socialism fully realized. Uh, But then you have the pushback where you hear, well, that's not real socialism. And. That just brings really weird to me. Well, I mean, it, what it comes down to is, is what they're saying is, and, and this is this is where I think it's getting dangerous because this is where it's getting, it's in a way it's kind of behooving the left, is that the definition of socialism has been pushed so far by, or let me say brought more to center by conservatives through their rhetoric than is healthy, right? So, for instance, if someone comes into a room and says, like, well, I don't think that... I think we need to set up an apartment that regulates people being able to dump waste, you know, toxic waste into a lake. And then Republicans are like, regulation, bad, socialism. And then the problem is, is socialism has been thrown around so long and has been so synonymous with what I would argue is not socialism at all. Um... You know, things such as, like, I look at the government as a whole, like, taking my entire, you know, political worldview or whatever, is that I look at the government's job to protect the people from certain things. And I also believe that that can be economic in nature as opposed to just with a foreign power. And if they do anything that protects, you know, the citizens of the United States, all of a sudden it bleeds into this territory where, oh, well, it's socialism. And conservatives haven't realized that what they've really done is they've lended credence to socialism by calling everything not socialist or everything socialism. It's the same thing with the whole racism thing. Like people just stop listening after a while. If you keep calling me a racist, like I'm just going to kind of turn you off. And then all of a sudden you're going to kind of, you know, you're going to kind of lose ground. Cause I'm just going to kind of do what I want to do anyway. And it's the same thing with socialism. I, I think yeah, that I mean, that's a, that a good point. Like they definitely, they definitely do that. It's, it's way overused. Um, at the so same time why, though, it's, but what I'm saying is that's why when they say that's real, that's not real socialism, right? They're right because in their mind it isn't socialism, and I would even argue that a lot of the stuff that they're wanting isn't socialism. But because they see those countries as socialist countries, and and it's like the one thing everyone agrees on, both conservatives and liberals, is that they are a socialist country, right? It, it's like, but then they go, but that's not real socialism. So it, it just it just creates this kind of feedback loop that I think. It well, no, the, I mean the right is the one. The right is the side saying this is real socialism. That right. What is happening what in Venezuela I'm, is real socialism. Right, but what I'm saying is, is that they're. I don't know how to explain exactly what I'm trying to say. It's just I, I that, know what you mean. Like they, they definitely use it. They they definitely call things socialist that ought not to be called socialist. However, in this instance, they are 100 percent spot on. This is socialism fully realized. What what is weird to me is that the left is saying, no, this isn't socialism. What socialism is, is what's because what they're trying to do is defend the term. I mean, that you know, the, the right isn't the only side capable of losing the meaning of language. You know, we 
we spent all of our years under Barack Obama with him saying, guys, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a socialist. That's, that's not, you know, how, how dare you call me that to now one of the, this, well, was the front runner until just like this week, but the front runner for the democratic party's nomination is an out and out self-declared socialist and uses the phrase socialist. Uh, right. I mean, now everybody likes to kind of color, you know, color it up and say, Oh, well, no, no, that's democratic socialism. But man, that word democratic is doing an awful lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> and, right. uh, and that's doing most of the work there. <laughs> the word socialism isn't modifying much. Uh, what, what these people, you know, like Sanders, they like to point to countries as an example of socialism are countries like Denmark and Sweden and say, no, that's right. socialism. And on the other hand, you know, I guess it, that's not socialism. It's not. Socialism is textbook definition is the government ownership or public ownership, which is the same thing, public ownership of the means of production. So that would be the government owning the means of production. That is socialism. So when you have the oil industry owned and operated by the government, that is a socialist policy. Now, I do think that there's some leeway behind this. The fact that there is a military, that's not socialist. It just can't be because everybody has militaries. It's it's so – that's just a neither here nor there uh, kind of thing to me. Uh, I don't see why people point to that and say, that's socialist. If you support the military, you support socialism. I, no, I really, really don't. Well, actually, no, I would agree that there's, it, it extends through the military. So there's a form of socialism that occurs by – privatizing contracts and doing things through the government for the military that create the means of productions through certain organizations, which increase the cost, thus justifying the need for the extreme budgets that the military requires. So as an example, you know, we need toilets on Navy sea on Navy, uh, submarines, right. And instead of just going and buying a, to- a toilet from Lowe's, right. For, you know, $47, and getting a toilet that works, they work through these different companies, and these companies are basically lobbying for these giant contracts, and then they charge $380 for a toilet, and then $490 in labor to install said toilet when it should have only costed $49. And you're basically socialistically creating a means of production with different companies that fall into the world of quote-unquote capitalism, which makes everybody so happy. And it's all a sham. Uh, I mean, I, I, nah, because I mean, you have you have multiple companies vying for that that contract, and those contracts get renewed or right. But if we're living in a real capitalistic society, my point is is that if it was a real capitalistic society, the means of production are being controlled by the government, and the prices are four and five times what they would be. Because if I'm in the market for somebody to install ten thousand toilets, I guarantee you, I'm not going to pay four hundred dollars a toilet. And so my point is, is that it's unrealistic to try and say that it's capitalism because they're putting it out there when they end up taking these contracts and paying 20 times market price for yeah, a given I, service I or see, product. Yeah, I can see what so you're saying. I, I, it just, I, to me, it seems, like, it seems like this is kind of a fruitless argument because it just seems like, well, I mean, the government is a customer in this regard. 
and the fact that there are multiple competitors for it, and the fact that it, you know that costs can balloon because there's a limited number of competitors, I, I can see that kind of being a concern. But it doesn't. I, I'm not really out here to argue that the military is capitalist either. That's not the point. The point is that it's not. There's no ownership of the means of production here. What it, when we're if we're going to try and talk on you know normal terms here, like or at least if we're going to try and talk about the same kind of stuff. It, you know, let's consider the governments of Denmark and Sweden, you know, and their supposedly socialist policies. I think what this is is just an attempt to say what they have, what Denmark and Sweden have, are vast and large welfare societies, and that I would completely agree with. They have a very thorough social safety net that operates through very, very high taxes and a very large government operating apparatus. Uh, and that I don't think is inherently socialist because there are still, there's still competition going on behind, you know, along the lines with those, with those places. The difference between us and how we do our stuff versus how they do their stuff is that, well, for number one, they pay for it. Um, we right. try not to. <laughs> um, I mean, you you asked Sanders exactly how much he wants to raise taxes on the middle class. He, you know, they, the left likes to kind of hide the cost for what they want to do by saying, well, we'll just tax the rich on it. And that's a very popular thing because it's like, hey, we can have all this stuff and it won't impact you in the slightest. But right. in these other kind of idealistic societies, which, like I said, I don't think they're accurately describing in a full picture, uh, it's that's not so much the case. They say, well, we're going to increase taxes by this amount and the people there are willing to deal with it. So, you know, more power to them. If they're not willing to deal with it, they can change it and it can stop. Uh, you don't have to overthrow the government to make that happen, which is to me like that's part of what makes this less socialist than Venezuela, where if you want it to stop, you're going to have to overflow, overthrow the entire thing. Right. No, I agree. I understand. I just so anyway, but yeah. So I, I, I mean, in the end, I mean, what's the what's the if you were to put a bow on it, like what's your what's your final thought? Just that this is ridiculous. We need to let the situation play out. What, what I mean, what's the? Oh, I mean, you know, foreign policy wise, like I mean, yeah, I think things are just going to have to keep going. I mean, we we were right to back this dude. Uh, hopefully, it turns out well. Um, <laughs> but I mean, as you know. That kind of non-interventionist side right now. There's nothing. There's nothing requiring us to get involved militarily. The the country's just kind of operating on its on its own pathway right now. And I mean, we can introduce sanctions and stuff like that. You know, if we feel like they overstep their boundaries, and we're within our right to do that. Uh, but and we have done some of that. But what? But what we have done is. We just don't have as much of a relationship with Venezuela enough to impact them that much. Like their economic woes are not because of any sanctions we have placed on them. Um, right. But more to the point, the bow I would like to tie on it, like that's just kind of foreign policy anal analystic, you know, kind of thinking. But to me, I, I want to focus more on this is what happens when you go too far. This is this is what this is Bernie Sanders territory, like which is why when everybody wants to weigh in on this. Sanders is completely quiet. He he has yet to say anything about any of this. 
So Mr. Trump is a Russian agent. We ought to, you know, really dig into this because he might be a Russian spy is totally fine with the Russian backed dictator in Venezuela, which just is like he's been with, fine with many other Russian backed dictators, including the USSR. I mean, he doesn't want to speak up against those people. That's why he honeymooned there. I mean, he, he is totally open to this kind of thing. He is not going to say a bad word about Fidel Castro. He is not going to say a bad word about Nicolas Maduro or, or Cesar Chavez, or sorry, Cesar Chavez, Hugo Chavez. I think I said Cesar Chavez earlier too. Hugo Chavez. Like, right. it, he's not going to say a bad thing about those guys either because he's, he's simpatico with them. Not, not 100%. I'm not saying he wants to be a dictator, but I'm saying Sanders does not give enough forethought to what will happen. The fact is when you put people in power and give them this much power, they naturally act to keep themselves in power. It's a normal – it doesn't require evil. It's a normal human temptation. And the only way to counter that human temptation is to enact a system of checks and balances, which is what we have done. And our system is completely incompatible with that line of thinking which is why we should reject people like Sanders and their kind of philosophy in total. Same with Omar. Right? This kind of American centralized thinking that, you know, well, we control everything in the world, and therefore if something bad happens in one of these countries that we like, it must be America's fault. I mean, that's it's crazy. And I feel like we demonstrated at least that, that that's crazy and that, you know, follow that thread, the rest of it should unravel if you're willing to go that far. Andrew, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, there's not much more for me to say. It seems like this is actually pretty fun, almost like a let James rant about something, let Jason rant about something. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed this. So, digital high right. five. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, keep your hands on the wheel. So, um, <laughs> I thought I was doing something wrong there. <laughs> I was wondering why I was off the road. Anyway, no, I, I think it's By the great. way, do you do you know a good cleaning service? Uh, my my car has gotten a lot of red tint over the last uh, few miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, man. Anyway, so, yeah, no. Um, uh, guys, the listeners, really appreciate you guys listening. If you could do us a favor, like, uh, follow, subscribe. We're, like, everywhere now, so just get out there. Check us out. Share us with your friends. Um, iTunes reviews iTunes reviews, yes. Uh, if you like it, you know, very much so. Tell us that you like it. If you don't like it, just don't worry about it. <laughs> five five star reviews only. You want to get yeah, less than a exactly. five star review? You come, you come, you you come see me. Exactly. Um, so yeah, other than that, I uh, appreciate everybody listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Oh, every day another new adventure. Every mile another new zip code. And I'd go with them if I could I got no strings on me I'm feeling fancy free How wonderful to be On the open road